Okay. Good morning. First of all, I want to thank Steve for putting me in a position where I was put through the meat grinder in the past couple of weeks, and I'll explain that a little bit later on. You're welcome. <laughs> uh, but if you have not caught on yet, uh, we preach the gospel and teach the gospel here uh, every week. And, uh, and that's what I'm going to do today. <laughs> also, as we were worshiping today, led by Dave, um, who does a, the whole team does a great job every Sunday, yes. but boy, it was just this morning, I was, I was, everything about this, this morning's worship was resonating in my heart, especially in terms of what I was going through in this past couple of weeks and, and the message today, and so uh, that was, um, yeah, I'm convinced now. Okay, I was convinced. I was trying to convince myself. Okay, is this what I need to be sharing this message uh, with all of you this morning? And I'm convinced. Yeah, through that, it's it's almost like you know, Dave and I got together <laughs> this past weekend. We kind of coordinated things, but um, God did. Yes. Yeah, and so I know I'm supposed to be uh, uh, preaching this today. Uh, so I feel really good about it. Uh, anyways, this this whole thing. I mean, the the last part where you know Dave kind of led us to you know bring publicly, right? I mean, so for some of us, share uh, these areas of our lives with these things in our lives that we need to really bring before the Lord and, and to uh, to surrender. Uh, but you know, things, uh, situations, and whatever external things, uh, circumstantial things. Uh, no matter how many times we we come before God to to um, just let it go and, and surrender um, it is very short lived if if we don't surrender our hearts to him and essentially that's what that's what this message is really about today and um, well, my intention is to share it and it's it's a good news, uh, but it's really a great news. Uh, and as Steve put it, maybe it's the best news ever, <laughs> and it is. <laughs> and so, uh, at first glance, it's not really fitting uh, with this uh, text, Deuteronomy chapter six text here. Uh, but the title is the title is great news, or I might change it now: the best news. <laughs> Okay, so if you don't have a Bible with you, please raise your hand and uh, you'll get a Bible. So let me pray um, before we get started here. Father, we thank you for, for everything. But we thank you mostly for Jesus Christ. And I pray that your Holy Spirit that is at work in all of us will open our hearts and enable us to see you and to make our hearing sensitive that we might hear your voice through this message this morning, Lord. And Lord, I ask that you would apply the truth of your word to our hearts. In Jesus' name. Amen. You know, for... 
some of you might be a history buff, so you, you might know this in, in detail. But for many, many centuries, uh, the ancient Roman Empire uh, ruled the world. I mean, they really did. So for hundreds and hundreds, hundreds of years, they, they ruled uh, the world, and they were known as the eternal city. And, and it gave people uh, a sense that, okay, they were powerful, they, they had a sense of security, uh, and they lived like that for hundreds and hundreds of years. But during the time of Augustine, uh, early 5th century, so the early part of um, 400, around 4, 410 uh, AD, uh, they were sacked by one of their enemies uh, for the first time in about 800 years, which was a shocker uh, for the people of Rome because they were just, for hundreds and hundreds of years, they were just living with this massive power uh, that they couldn't believe what, what just happened to them. And, and that started uh, this beginning of, of the fall and decline of the Roman Empire. Now, as I said, this power that Rome had gave the people of Rome yeah, that sense of security for such a long time and, and the sense of invincibility uh, which was now beginning to crack and, and begin to crumble uh, right under from their feet. And uh, I think, okay, this is, this is something that happened a uh, long, long time ago. But if we really think about it, I think we understand what that might feel like. Okay. And one of the things that came to mind when I was thinking about this was 9-11. I mean, it's kind of in, a, in, a, in the memory banks yeah, for all of us. And it's, it doesn't affect us as much as it did. But we all remember where we were, right? Do you remember what you felt? What you thought? And I've known some people who were closer to the action. And it affected them more, right? But I think overall, as a nation, it shocked us. When I was watching that, well, I, I took my boys to school. They were very little. And I, we heard the news and we shut the school down and we brought, uh, we decided to take our kids back home and turned on the news and while we were watching the, this thing uh, on the news, and the planes just crashing into those buildings. And I knew it was real, but it didn't seem real. It felt like I was watching a movie. I mean, that was my reaction in terms of shock. I couldn't believe this was happening. A lot of things changed thereafter as as you all know. But anyways, it was during this time and Rome was going through all of this that he wrote a book called The City of God to console primarily, to console the Christians and to encourage them to look to what he calls the city of God as opposed to the city of man. So that we could look to the city of God and hope in the ultimate triumph of God's kingdom and not in this world. Okay, that was his primary uh, reason why he wrote this book. Augustine saw human history as a conflict between the city of God that was marked by people who live faithfully 
dedicated to God. So there is not a care for the worldly things. So they are just 100% for God and they're faithful and dedicated. So this city is in conflict with the city of man. And in the city of man, people are immersed with the concerns and cares and pleasures of the world. Constant conflict going on there. Conflict between two different loves, two different passions, two different ambitions, two different allegiances. Now these two cities, city of, city of God, city of man, these are not real actual cities, right? <laughs> but uh, he made them up to make this point of this conflict, the reality of this conflict in this world. And I think this conflict is real. Why? Because that's what I've experienced. And that's what I experience today. As Paul teaches in the New Testament, he talks about citizenship as God's people having citizenship in heaven. And so in a sense, for Christians at least, we have dual citizenship. Well, even here, earthly speaking, I have a dual citizenship actually. About two years ago, um, I became a citizen of the United States of America. (laughs) And I did my pledge and all of that, uh, even though I lived here many, many years. Uh, But up until that time, I was a Canadian, eh? I've had a Canadian citizenship for for many years. (laughs) And as I understand it, you can have dual citizenship between Canada and the United States. So I have three citizenships. (laughs) And so the conflict is that we we are citizens here for a time. We we are living here. This is our home. We like the idea of settling down. We like the idea and the feel of security, safety, And all of that, which is a great thing. But in another sense, it's not such a great thing because oftentimes those things are in contradiction or they're in conflict with our citizenship in heaven. And that's what Augustine was was talking about. And he asks this question, what then are we to do since we are citizens of the heavenly city yet living in the earthly city? I think that's a question for us today. I think it's very relevant. I think this is our our challenge today and perhaps an ongoing challenge until the Lord returns. I talked about the 9-11 and we know what we went through, right? The thought process, what we were feeling and all of that. But let's talk about on a smaller scale or on a personal scale. When the things that we rely on in our life, things that we trust for our security, our hope, our happiness, the things that give us joy and happiness and all of that. When any one of those things 
are taken away. And one common example is like losing a job, right? Or something that happens where our finances are in trouble. And so we may have some reserve for now, <laughs> but you know, who can uh, promise a job tomorrow? I've experienced that. Well, in my life, I've experienced many, many different uh, situations of going through a very difficult financial problems. I haven't had a job for a while. Some of you know. Um, even though, yes, uh, several months back, I, I uh, did find a job with, with, a, with an insurance company. Uh, it started out okay. And things kind of fizzled for various reasons. And I'm trying to get back into it through a different agency or different group. And trying to get contracted with a couple more uh, other companies. But it's, it's all taking so much time here. And this is in the context of us. Because of our financial struggles, um, we've been in the process of loan modification for, for a very long time. And I know that... Uh, at least a couple of you uh, have gone through that or maybe going through that. Uh, maybe more than I know, I don't know. But I know that there are many, many people going through similar things like that. And it's not easy. You know, for a very long time, I, I kind of think to myself, okay, it's going to be okay, why? I trust God, God's going to provide. And I remind myself of the things that, that are important that we need to be reminded of God and who he is and what he can do. But through that, I was trying to convince myself, I'm doing okay. My faith is sustaining me. It's, it's, it's going to be okay, and therefore I'm okay now. And then I realized that I was covering up something. <laughs> And it came out in a, in a pretty, pretty good way, uh, interestingly enough, right after Steve asked me to preach today, <laughs> going back a few weeks. I said, wow, another opportunity, great. <laughs> Boy, it's been rough. It's been very, very difficult. I mean, I've had some some battles and struggles with this uh, on a spiritual level before, but well, I just felt like I was being ground. <laughs> and I shared this with Steve uh, a few days ago, but very, very difficult. Just, have you ever tried to do something that you didn't want to do? <laughs> Whatever that uh, that was. Maybe that some of you are going through that now. It's like maybe, maybe work. <laughs> uh, try to go to work and you don't feel like going to work for whatever reason. Boy, there were times, uh, many times, uh, through the process of trying to prepare for today's message, I, I didn't want to do it. Yeah, I didn't want to get close to the Word of God. I was becoming irritable. Yvonne could tell you about that. (laughs) (laughs) 
um, my patience was uh, obviously running, uh, you know, becoming thin. And uh, I kept on, you know, convinced myself, I'm doing okay. <laughs> but in reality, I was not doing okay. All this is kind of <laughs> uh, discouraging, no? Yes? Well, maybe encouraging because I'm the one suffering and maybe you're not suffering right now. I don't know. <laughs> but we all suffer. We all go through struggles, conflicts. But I want to share this great news with you today. And before I run out of time, I should read today's passage. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Now I'm going to read verses 1 through 15 and emphasize just a couple of verses in that. So Deuteronomy chapter 6, I'm not sure what page it's on in the Bible that you have, but it looks like 151. 151. Thank you. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that by your days may be, that your days may be long. Hear, therefore, O Israel, and be, be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord, is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk to them and talk and shall talk of them when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates and when the lord your god brings you into the land that he swore to your forefathers, your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you, with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of all good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, then take care lest you forget the Lord." who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are around you. For the Lord your God in your midst is a jealous God. Lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you, and he destroy you from off the face of the earth. Going back to that 
idea of the city of God and the city of man. And today, if you truly believe in your heart that you are Christian, saved by the work of God in Jesus Christ, then you are, you are a citizen of heaven. And if you are, and if we are truly citizens of the city of God, which means that even as Augustine was describing, the people, the citizens of God's kingdom look to God for everything. Only God matters because He is a source of every good and everything that I treasure. He Himself is my treasure. I mean, this is the way, this is what it's supposed to be, right? So, if truly God is my treasure, if Jesus Christ is my treasure, would we not live every day? With that, would Jesus Christ, would he not be our security, our hope, our happiness and passion, our ambition? Would he not be our love? And would, he, would, would we not love him exclusively? I mean, it's... The idea is simple. Why? Because I think even on a human level, the relationships that we have, think about the person or persons that you most love in your life. Of course, for all of us, my wife, my husband, my kids, right? Let's think about our spouses. Would it make sense for you to pledge your love to your spouse and to... uh, I don't know, seek out pleasures with you know, other people. Well, that's, that's not true love. I mean, that's not, there's something, there's something going on there. I mean, that happens on a regular basis, I know. And that's why relationships break up. There are separations and divorces. And uh, even if that's not the case, we live in marriage with a very, very unfulfilling, unhappy uh, kinds of, of, of lives. And that's the sad reality of it. But if we truly love someone, our total commitment and devotion would be to that person. And that's what God requires of his people. That's what he demands. That's what he commands. And so herein lies this problem that we all face. Even as true believers... And if we're true believers, Christians, we love God in our hearts, yes? I think we all agree that we love God, right? I mean, you could just nod and you don't have to say anything. (laughs) Just acknowledge it. Okay, I'm not the only one. Yes, we love God and we want to love God. But the problem is, oftentimes, that we become aware, I become aware, that I am not loving God. Why? Because it's becoming obvious certain times in certain situations that I'm loving these other things. And that bugs me. That saddens me. That angers me. But something that angers me more is that I realize it 
but sometimes I don't do anything about it because I, you know, it's a weird thing going on. The great news or the best news that I discover in this, this passage is very familiar to me. I've gone over it many times. But in a renewed way, I discover not just God, you know, long, long time ago through one of his servants giving this command to his people, you have to live this way because I am your ruler. And so people of God say, oh, yes, you are a powerful God and therefore we better, we better do as you say. I mean, even so, you know the story of Israelites. And so we could, I mean, I, I spend a lot of time focusing and emphasizing kind of that way of looking at this passage and perhaps, perhaps Christianity, perhaps my own faith in, 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 in God through Jesus Christ, I looked at it in a very unbiblical, um, unhelpful way. And it's this, God is both powerful and good. Okay, so I'm talking about some basic things here. And out of his goodness, his mercy and grace, he saves some of us, some of, you know, part of the humanity. And he saves, and he says to them, look what I have done for you. Something that you could not do on your own, but I have done it for you. Not because you deserve it, but because I'm a good God, I've done this for you. Now, because of what I've, what I've done for you, this is what I want you to do from now on. This is what I want you to do. This is what, what I want you not to do. And just giving this list, right? Starting with the Ten Commandments. And so that's kind of like what I used to believe for a very long time. The flip side of that is, as a recipient of that is, that's right. You know, Jesus Christ, he loves me, died for me. And I believe that, so I'm going to go to heaven. But I have a life to live. And this is what I want to do. This is what I want to pursue. This is what I want to achieve in life. This is what I want to experience. And so I pursue my own life. And here and there, or I should say as much as possible, much as possible, I want to do good things because I know this good and powerful God wants me to be good. And live according to his word. But I'm not perfect and I know that. And oftentimes I fail. But I remind myself. Well I'm a sinful being. Nobody's perfect. And I'm not perfect. And therefore I do my best. And that should be good enough for God. Now I never wrote this down by the way. I'm talking about. I'm sharing with you my attitude. Okay, My basic thoughts. Behind how I used to live. For many years as a believer. And there's the other part that I want, I, I have a hard time admitting, kind of mixed up with all of that is this. As much as I appreciate what you did, God, please leave me alone. <laughs> I, let me just do my own thing. I'm a good person, right? I'm a good person. I'm not going to go around doing bad things or killing people or whatever. But you understand I'm not perfect, but I'm I'm good. I'm, I'm good in my heart. So I thank you for, for saving me. And I'll see you in heaven. Whenever that's going to be. 
And that was me. And then, of course, when things go wrong, I pray, Lord, help me with this. Lord, I need this. I need that. So, in a nutshell, that was my, that was my life as a believer. And with that kind of thought and attitude, I, I would read this, this kind of a thing. Oh, okay, God is giving this command. I better love him. With a renewed heart and mind, God reveals great news here. Okay, just a little bit of a little bit of a cultural kind of a context here. When the New Testament Christians confess that Jesus is Savior and Lord, it is an echo of Israel's most basic and fundamental confession that Yahweh is the Lord. And the heart of this this passage here is verse 4 and 5. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Jesus Christ himself quotes this to answer the question of what is the greatest commandment. And he quotes this, these verses. And so, when the New Testament saints or believers say, Jesus is Lord, it is an echo of this, what is called the Shema. Hear, O Israel. This greatest commandment that God has given to his people. Now, the ancient people were very spiritual. We have spiritual people today, but all of them were spiritual. We have religious people today, but but in ancient times, that culture was all spiritual, it was all religious, and everybody was superstitious. The only difference was, were you pursuing the true God or false gods? That was the only difference. They believed that there were deities or gods to govern and to rule every sphere of life, everyone. There's not an area of their life that God, some, some God, did not rule over. Okay, that was their basic belief. Whether it was family, politics, money, war, I mean, whatever it was, there was some deity that dealt with that aspect of life. And this was the historical or cultural context of of ancient Israel, and it's, it was into this context that God gave this command or this Shema. And so what is meant for God's people coming under this claim of the Shema is that no longer could there be different gods for different spheres of life. Yahweh was the only God, the one God who rules over every aspect of life and the world. Yahweh, God, is the God and Lord of home, of work, of politics, of play. And the religious task was to honor this one and true God in and through all aspects of one's life. It was a call for the Israelites to live their life under the lordship of this one and true God and not under many false gods. And this is why the covenant between Israel and Yahweh begins with an absolute claim of God to all of Israel's life and total ban on 
idols, false gods. I mean, what is what is the first two? What are the first two commandments of of the Ten Commandments? You shall have no other gods before me, right? Now, the relevance for us today, culturally, there are many different things, I suppose. And like I said, we we are we're not living in, in a time where, you know. It's like everybody's religious and everybody's superstitious. There's some of it here and there. But there are different things that represent the same things, right? False gods. I mean, different ways that we look at money and what money can buy. I don't know, nice cars, nice houses, jobs, whatever it is. There's so many things, even in this life. It's just just changed a little bit. So essentially, there are no differences in that sense. The essence of Shema is, again, these two verses that I'm focusing on today. And I want to emphasize we're using two words, one and all. It's a good, very simple way to remember it. Okay, one and all. First thing in this command was a command to love. How? Love the Lord your God with, uh, and Him only, right? Exclusively. This one and true God. With all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. Okay. So why is this a great news? Because anytime we're given a command, we walk away with the burden. And that's true I think most of the time. I mean, I don't know, you know, when I give command to my kids, I don't know, I can't remember the last time they were joyful. When I, as a, as a child, to my parents, when they commanded me to do something, I, I can't remember the time that I was just filled with joy and thinking that was great news. And when I did do, because I was a good child, I was a good son to my parents, so I thought for many, many years, because why? I never talked back. I did what I was told to do. I thought that was obedience. I think as a believer for many years, I thought that was obedience to God. When outwardly I, can do, I do things, or seemingly do things, that God had commanded me to do. Until once again, again, I discovered that in my heart was something very different. And I was doing very similar things or with a very similar thought and attitude that I used to do when I was a child. When my parents told me to do something, I would do it. And my heart was just, right? I didn't want to do it. I was complaining. I was grumbling. And with that kind of a heart, I, was, I would do it. And for a lot of years, I, I, that was my obedience to the Lord. And so here, this, this command is given. God says, that the Lord your God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. Okay, I know I should be doing that. But again, the problem is, a lot of times I can't do that. I don't even want to do it. When God says, love me and love me only, he is claiming something very important. 
And initially, it may not be a great news, but I need to mention it because, it, in one sense, it really does make sense. Because God is ultimately unique in that He is uniquely and perfectly holy. And He is the only one, by the way, in the whole universe. He is uniquely and perfectly holy. He is infinite. He is good. Perfectly good. He is loving. He is just, patient. He is unchanging. He is all-knowing. He is wise. The list goes on and on and on. Descriptive of this one and true God. Not only that, and I thought about it, Not only that, this God wants to have a loving relationship with him. Okay, now we're going into really the heart of this great news here. And I thought about that before too many times, but I thought about it in a different light. Actually, I've, after I had a good conversation with Steve. That this God, as he commands us to do all these things or not do all these things, and he gives his greatest command to love him in this way, he is giving this command because he wants to have a loving relationship with us. Now, how many other gods do you know that wants to have a loving relationship with you? How many other religions do you know that has a God that wants to love and want to be, wants to be loved? Understanding the more, more and more. Okay, I mean, we could spend a lot of time discovering things about God through Scripture that will, well, at, at least it ought to amaze us about who He is. And out of Him, out of His character and nature, He does something that is also equally incredible to us and for us when we are just completely undeserving. And so when we really dwell on that, how could we not sell, in a sense, sell everything in our life to have Him and to love Him? This amazing, incomparable, one-of-a-kind treasure in Jesus Christ. But once again, that's the problem. The problem is That we resist it. We don't do it. Well, at least not, not as much as uh, we want to, and not all the time. And of course, the other thing is we can't force this upon anyone, okay, even myself. But God has an answer. Okay, this is kind of a simple way of looking at it. But we all have a problem, right? I mean, there are millions of problems, but the great, great problem that we all share is sin, right? It bugs the heck out of us every day. But there's an answer for all of us, too. And what's that answer? What is that answer? Jesus. Jesus. That's right. And we all know this. We know the problem. We know the answer. <laughs> Maybe I should sit down now. 
but as simple as that might be, then why isn't it working? Okay, I'm almost nearing the end here, so be patient. Okay, and alert. <laughs> how many? How many of you are, are swimmers? You know how to swim. Yeah, I know how to swim too. I should ask, how many of you can't swim? <laughs> uh, don't feel bad. You know why? Because the only difference between swimming and drowning is time. <laughs> really. Or another way of looking at it is, is swimmers are a little bit more finessed in their drowning. But given enough time, we all drown. You know why people drown? It's not because they can't swim. I'm sure you've heard this before. It's not because people, people can't swim necessarily. They, people drown because they struggle, right? They struggle and they drag other people. And that's why drowning happens uh, most of the time. And again, I could, I could talk about drowning and swimming for two hours. I've thought about it many, many times uh, for the course of many years because a long time ago, this struck me because I felt like drowning in life and it hit me in this way. I'm struggling unnecessarily when all I need to do as a believer, if I truly believe God to be who he is and what he has done, not only in the past but presently and give me hope for the future, all I need to do is rest in that and rest and trust because trust is about resting, isn't it? And answer came about in a very, very complicated, unnecessary kind of, I mean, in my perspective and experience at least, but the conclusion was very, very simple. And those kinds of things I experienced many times over in my life and God was teaching me over and over and over again the lesson of trust And his message to me over and over was, don't struggle. <laughs> Just relax. And you know, if you don't know how to swim, you fall into the water. If you relax and take deep breaths, it's impossible for you to drown. I mean, for a time. <laughs> okay? For a time, especially in salt water. You float. If you don't do anything, just relax. Right? If you don't know, take my word for it. I've done tests. Just to prove this point, I did tests with my own body, so I know it. And it's also true in life as believers. Those times that I can just relax and trust, really trust in the Lord, and not struggle to do things. The struggles are two things, basically, that really work against us. One is to struggle to hold on to things that I... That I it doesn't make any sense, but I know these things, they don't really give me joy and peace and, and hope for the... It, it, none of that, okay? Sense, sense of security, right? Money. We need it. We do. And we need it for a time. And uh, I mean, these things are fleeting past. I know all of it. But I struggle to hold on to these things. That's one struggle. The other struggle is this. I want to do things for the Lord. Right? If we love the Lord, we want to do things for the one that we love, like one, you know, all of us having desire to do, wanting to do things for, for people that we love, our family members, our kids, our wives. And so with that, with that kind of a mindset, I want to serve God, so there's a struggle there. Not all of it is bad, but a lot of times in the way that I approach it, and I think this is true of, of many other Christians as well, we struggle to serve God 
And God is really not wanting that. He does not want the work of our hands. He doesn't need it. Doesn't mean we shouldn't do anything. But even in serving God, we need to trust Him and allow God to work in and through us. And whatever God has gifted me with, whatever God has called me with, I have to be in tune with that. And when I'm in tune with that, everything kind of flows out of it in a very kind of a natural way. Not in a perfect way, but in a very natural way. And I just need to keep loving God. And second part of the greatest commandment, I just need to keep loving people. It's very, very simple. Ministry is simple. Our life of faith and trusting God is really simple. It's not rocket science. So there it is. The answer is Jesus Christ. The answer is God, the great news, the ultimate news, the best news, that he himself is the answer. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 6, he says, And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring. What that's saying is that as God commands his people to love him, God is saying, I'm going to enable your heart so that you could love me. So it's very different from a God saying, I did this all these great things for you, and therefore you must reciprocate by loving me back. It doesn't work that way, and we know it doesn't work that way in our relationships with other people. We can't say, I want you to love me. We can, I mean, we can say it, but that's stupid. We teach our kids when they're little to obey, right? But not in a legalistic way. We all start out that way. But our hope and, and prayer for them is that they will love to obey. And ultimately, through this training of loving parents, that they will learn to love and obey God. Not in a legalistic way, not in a ritualistic way, but with affection. Love God and obey His commands. In Romans 2.29, it says circumcision is a matter of the heart by the Spirit and is not work of the hands of people. It is not a matter of material things or physical things. God in Christ, by the Holy Spirit, gives us hearts of flesh, new hearts, and ongoing renewing hearts to love him. He created us to have an eternal love relationship with him. But sin separated us from our loving father, but he reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. Okay, this is a gospel in a nutshell, right? And gave us new hearts, enabling us to love him back. And God does this for us, in us. I mean, I can't explain everything why, because this doesn't make us robots. He just enables us, right? He takes that callus, he takes that, that heart of, of, of stone and replaces it with the heart of flesh, and this is what the Bible is teaching us. Because with the heart of stone, we are enemies of God. 
And we are enemies of man. We are lover of ourselves. But the strange thing is, lover of self turns into an enemy of yourself too. Why? Because we all you know, play, place ourselves on this, this path of ultimate destruction in the end. And what he requires after he has done all this is, is command us to obey. And that, obe- and that command is love me. Because I have done what for you? Well, all these things. Okay? To the Israelites, to giving, giving them this, this promised land flowing with milk and honey that's descriptive of this very rich land, right? In contrast to the desert or Egypt and brings them in and, and he, he furnishes everything too. He, had, he did everything. But that's back in the day, okay, during the ancient uh, Israel, the Old Testament Israel. But through that, God was pointing to something greater that he would do in the hearts of his people and also the eternal city of his kingdom. And he has promised all of that to be fulfilled through Jesus Christ, through which we have received it today. Yeah, we have become citizens of this kingdom of God that is not in its fullness yet. Okay. Still, in as we live in this city of man, we struggle through things. But God has done it all. And all we need to do is trust in that and to love Him and to love God. He will do all that He promised, all that He promises. Why? Because He claims us. And he has claimed us to love. And thereby, God is declaring to us and to the world, you are mine. I will care for you, provide for you, and I will love you. And God demonstrated this extravagant love for us in the fulfillment of his promise for eternal life of love with him through Jesus Christ. He didn't send a messenger. He didn't send an angel or other servants that he could have sent. But he came personally in Jesus Christ to suffer and die. Taking upon himself the shame and penalty of our sins. In our place he died. To forgive our sins? Absolutely. To cleanse us from our sins? Yes. To save us from eternal, eternal death? I mean, all these things we know to be true, but also to claim us as his own. And this is clearly seen in the relationship of Jesus Christ and his people, the church. And the New Testament describes this relationship as the groom and the bride, this loving relationship. Psalm 1611 says, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. I mean, I was reading through some psalms and just over and over and over through the psalmist's writing, we, we see and we can see this relationship and the joy Right? The reliance, the trust, 
looking to God as, as the Savior, as help, as my joy, my refuge, He's my rock. I mean, just different words, different expressions over and over and over. This relationship that God has created us to have with Him. And my prayer, my prayer, for me and for all of us together, even though we might go through different, all different kinds of struggles, that we, may, that, we, that we won't struggle with this one fact of who God is and what He has done for us. And every single day, if we forget everything, that we could be reminded of this one thing. This great, one and true God, unique in the whole universe, loves us. And he has enabled us to love him back. Let's all pray together. Father, I, I really want to thank you, Lord, for your kindness that you have demonstrated to me. Your mercy and your great grace and your great love that you have shown me and to all of us. Lord, I pray that we are reminded each and every day of this great fact. And even through our struggles, problems, that we could look to you for our joy, our security, our safety, our hope, and all these things. And cultivate more and more this loving relationship that you so desire to have with us. So may we leave with our hearts full of your love today. And as it overflows, Lord, may we also learn to love one another and to love our neighbors. We praise you and we love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.